0: If you would turn in your Bibles to a letter that Paul had written to the Roman Christians. Alright, get my my notes to cooperate with me. I've been reading in the book of Romans and I decided I would do something tonight. Now, I don't know that we're going to keep doing it. This may be the only time we do this, or maybe we'll go through the whole book of Romans. I don't know yet, but what I do know is tonight we're going to get a running start on the book of Romans, and we're just going to go through it verse by verse, and we're going to look at probably the first couple of chapters. We'll see how far we get. I would like to get at least to the end of chapter three tonight, and um, Romans is one of those books that, so, so what I was saying is I don't know if we'll continue going through it verse by verse as a series, we may. Um, On the other hand, maybe tonight will just make you hungry enough to go out and to read and to dig into the book of Romans yourself. And Romans is one of those books that can be a little bit dangerous to just take verses by themselves out out of context. Because some of the statements and things that are... I mean, out of every book in the Bible, I don't know of one that's probably more important. uh, uh, This fact that I'm saying is you have to take it in context of what this whole letter is saying. And when he wrote this letter, most of you know this, you know, the Bible wasn't written in, in in chapters and verses and all that. It was just written as a letter to that church. And then later, a priest came along and put in the chapters and verses so that we can easily find the same place when we're teaching. But sometimes it does a disservice for us because we come to the end of a chapter and we quit reading when the thought continues to flow right into on in the letter, Right? And so in the book of Romans, I encourage you to do two things. One is sit down and read it in one setting or like maybe over two days, you know, in, in a short period of time. Just read through it. It's not that long. You've, you've read longer articles on the internet, I'm sure, right? Because you can read through it in, in an hour or less. And so um, get a bird's eye view of it. And then come back and go through it slowly and dissect it and and let it get into your spirit and grow on the inside of you. Romans is also uh, an interesting book because there is 19 Old Testament prophecies quoted in the book of Romans. And there are four new prophecies that he put into the book. And there are 388 verses of history. That are, are either referred to or implied or spoken of in, in this book. 29 verses of fulfilled prophecy. There are 16 verses of unfulfilled prophecy that are still to come in this wonderful letter that Paul wrote to the believers. A little bit of history and backstory. Paul is on his third missionary journey, he has um, had quite a trip. He stops off in Corinth. And he stays there for three months. You can find that in Acts chapter 20. And while he's there is when he writes the book of Romans in that three-month period. And he had planned, he was on his way to Jerusalem. He was going to take, they had taken an offering for the famine that was taking place in, in Jerusalem. And he was taking the offering from the Macedonians back to Jerusalem. And he wanted to be back in Jerusalem for Pentecost, right? And, and he was. He ended up making that. But then he got taken captive and shipped to Rome. Well, he wrote to the Roman believers in that three-month window before he went to Jerusalem. And so he informs them that, you know, I'm planning on coming. I've tried to come often, but I've been hindered. I'm going to come visit you guys. And and so he he sets all of that in in his order there. And in fact, he apparently knew many of the believers in, in Rome because... When you look in Romans chapter 16, he has all these greetings to all these different people. You know, tell them hi, tell them hi, tell them hi. Well, he must have known all these believers in Rome. Now, how did the church get there? That is something that scholars don't know. They look at it and they say, well, you know, long ago people used to believe that Peter planted the church, but that can be disproved just by reading different scriptures and looking at uh, what different historians have said. And so, um, now... The common thought seems to be that for the, the believers from the day of Pentecost. Because when you read in Acts chapter 2, it says people from Rome were there. And when, when that happened, that they would have gone back and taken the good news of Christ back to, to Rome. And uh, he wrote this to both Jews and to Gentiles. But predominantly, if you read through the book of Romans, you'll see that he's addressing Gentiles seems to be quite a bit more, more than the Jews. Although he did write write to both. On the world stage, what was happening at that time, it was quite a bit worse than what we have going on today. I mean, things were bad. They had wars and rumors of wars. Christianity was outlawed. I mean, there was all, you know, we have it nice in comparison. It was the third year of Nero, right? And in AD 58 is when they believe that Paul wrote that, in the spring of AD 58. And, um, he, it was the fourth, did I say third year, fourth year of Nero, he's consul for the third time, and uh, he had, for those of you that are history students, Valerius M- M- Masala was his colleague at that point, and then um, Domitus Corbulu had just resumed war with Parthia, if you've read about those wars, and he was just preparing to go into the highlands of Armenia, and, and that whole war was about to take place. And then within a few weeks of this, there was some Egyptian down in Jerusalem that inflamed a whole bunch of people and he took 3,000 guys out into the desert, convinced them all he was the Messiah. He brings 30,000 people back and tries to take Jerusalem and Felix, who is ruling there in Jerusalem at the time, just absolutely annihilates them. So that's what's going on on the world stage at the time when Paul is writing a book that's forbidden to be written actually, um, at least in the Roman world. And for Christianity. and so, th- so that's kind of what's taking place as Paul writes to the believers there in Rome. So let's start in verse 1 of chapter 1. <clears throat> it says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called an apostle. Actually, I want to talk a little bit more about the book before I get into reading it. So, kind of the way uh, this letter is laid out is, so in the very first chapter you see that he kind of has the the greeting, who the the book is to, and then he talks to them about his desire to come down through verses 15 and tells them about his plans to come. And then verses 16 and 17 is like the theme and purpose of the entire letter. You know, one of the things that I was taught um, early on by, by Apostle Dale is when you're going to preach a message, he says, tell them what you're going to tell them, and then tell them, and then tell them what you told them, <laughs> right? Because repetition makes it stick. So you sit down So tonight we're going to learn about blah, 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 okay? Now I tell you about blah, 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 and then at the end you review, Right? That's just the simple method of, of teaching. Well, that's kind of what Paul does here. He says, here's what we're going to... Verses 16 and 17, the theme of, of, of the book of Romans. And then he proceeds to go through in, in the rest of chapter 1 and lays out the guilt of the Gentile world. And then in chapters 2, he lays out the guilt of the Jewish world under the law. And then in chapter 3, he lays out the guilt of the entire world, Right? And then, along about verse 21 in chapter 3, he switches to the solution. And then how to live the solution on in the later chapters. And and deals with problems people were having with the solution, the righteousness of God, and living it. And what does the grace mean? And he works his way all the way through, you know, and then in, in the later part of the books, there's different portions of it there that we'll maybe get into later. But for today, you know, I don't know of a more important book doctrinally, for a believer, especially if you're a new believer, to read then this book. Because it lays it all out. The need, the why, the answer, the solution, and how to live it. It just lays it all out in the book of Romans. Alright, let's start with verse 1. Paul calls himself a servant or a slave, depending on the translation you read. But that the word means a bondservant, which is a slave. A bondservant could be someone um, that had sold themselves to someone else, right? So it's a voluntary slavery. But it can also mean someone who was taken as a slave. Well, we know that God isn't taking slaves, but He accepts voluntary slaves, right? He did purchase us. But it's still up to you whether you're going to answer that and be a son and a servant of Christ Jesus. So he says, Paul, a, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, that's a sent one, a set, And he says, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, that being the Old Testament, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a seed of David according to the flesh, and was appointed to be the powerful Son of God according to the Spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection of the dead. Through him we have received grace. And apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles. Or all the nations, we could say. That word Gentiles means nations. It also means Gentiles. It also means people groups. Or races. Among all the races. Verse 6, including you who are also called by Jesus Christ. So he's writing to Jews and Gentiles and he's saying they are called. So he, he starts out with saying, I'm called. And I'm called to be an apostle or a sent one, a delegate on behalf of the good news of the gospel, good news of Christ to you. And then he says, and you're all called also by Jesus Christ in verse 6. and verse 7, to all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is his greeting, this is his entry into this letter he identifies Himself and His calling. He identifies His audience. They're believers, right? He's not trying to get them saved. They're already saved. But He's going to preach the good news to them and tell them the good news. And, and I like in verse 5 how He mentions this. He says, through Him, we have received grace. Well, a couple weeks ago, I preached a message on grace and how that is God's empowerment, God's enablement, God doing something for you that you cannot do for yourself. It's only possible through Him. By grace are we saved, not by works, right? So He's doing something that we can't do. Here He says, through Him we've received grace. Well, in John chapter 1, in the Gospel of John, He says we've received grace on top of grace. Grace stacked with more grace, and then more grace, right? More ability, more enablement. And so He says, we've received this grace, this apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith. What is the obedience of faith? Is it possible to have faith but no obedience? What is faith? Well, faith is confident persuasion. Right? A confident persuasion. The obedience of confident persuasion. Right? He's bringing about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. Including you who are also called by Jesus Christ. Now, I like verse 7 because he says to all who are in Rome loved by God. It's Just a known fact he's establishing that you're all loved. And that if you name the name of Christ, you're a saint. And if you don't, you're an ain't, right? So who, who is a saint? Well, anyone who believes on the name of Jesus. And believes in the sanctifying blood of Jesus for their life. And so that makes you a saint. And you are loved, I mean, if he loved you while you were sinners, how much more will he love those who he calls sons? Someone look at your neighbor and say, I am loved loved by the Lord. Lord. Look in verse 8. Now, in verse 8 through 15, I'm going to just read this. He's talking about his desire to come visit them, Um, and then we'll come back and we'll go through a few of the verses. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about His Son, that I constantly mention you, always asking in my prayers that if if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you, for I want very much to see you. So that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Both yours and mine. Now I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often planned to come to you. But was prevented until now in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you. Just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians. Both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Starting with verse 15, and then we'll work our way backwards. Uh, isn't it interesting that he's saying to a bunch of saved people that I'm looking forward to preaching the good news to you? He's not trying to get them saved. In fact, this word preach is the word where we get our word evangelize. See, some people have thought that the evangelist is only to the lost. No, the evangelist, the proclaimer, is also to those who are saved. Sometimes we just need proclaimed to. And that word being proclaimed to us brings strength in us. I mean, how many, when you sit here, last week, uh, Prophet Bob Hawk was here, when he gets the blowing and going, right? He gets on a roll and the fire starts rolling. Man, you, you feel it build up on the inside of you, don't you? Well, that's the spirit of the, your spirit responding to what the Lord is saying in that moment and you becoming excited and faith welling up on the inside of you. Well, in the same way, he says, I'm eager to come and to declare the good news, the gospel, to you who are in Rome. Let's go back up to uh, verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. This is before social media, before television, You know, before it was easy to spread the news. It took time for news to travel. And this news of what was happening in Rome and awakening, the church being birthed and growing and expanding and how their faith was, and, and none of the apostles had even gone there yet. And this news is reaching the whole world about what God is doing. And so, I had, as I read through that, I had to think, well, you know, is our faith today... At Church of the Word, here in Lancaster, in the churches in Lancaster County, would it be enough that the world is saying, we're hearing about your faith, right? Don't hear it with ears of condemnation, just, but be honest with yourself, right? Am I, am I operating at a level of faith that the world is hearing it, hearing about it and saying, well, that's amazing. You know, when you tell your testimony of what God has done for you, and, and because we have Let's put it this way. We're without excuse when it comes to the world hearing today. Because of social media. Because everything is so easy to communicate around the world. We can easily travel around the world. Not like back then where it took weeks or months to go places. Right? And so we're without excuse that if we have a good thing to say or or, or let people know, we we have the ability to to broadcast it to the whole world. And whether it be on television or, or other ways of doing it. So here they they their faith is being talked about, is being reported. And one thing that I've noticed is is at least if you're alive to the Lord is that when you hear of other people's faith working, it encourages you. Amen. You go, oh, "Wow." And you know, I remember hearing uh, Pastor Dale say how that he believed God for a pair of socks. And, you know, he went without some socks for a while and until his faith worked. And he got his socks and he was in Siberia and, and this, this elderly lady came and she had a hand knitted him some, some socks. And uh, they were socks. He said they were itchy, but they were socks. <laughs> he had forgotten his socks at home. And, and so now he's got his pair of socks. He believed for it. And I'm driving through Kansas listening to this sermon early on, Right? And I'm thinking, well, if the Lord would do that for socks for him, then he could do it for me on something too. See what's happening? I I heard about his faith, and now it's inspiring me to make a step as well. So I said, Lord, um, there's a book that I would like to have. And so I named the book to the Lord. And um, not, not to anyone else. You know, my family was with me in the car, but this is just quietly on the inside. And I name a book to the Lord. I'd like to have this book, Lord, and I'd like to have you give it to me. I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to buy it. I mean, I could. I could go out and buy it. Although at that time, our finances were extremely um, crunched and compressed. And so we really didn't have the funds to buy a book. But I mean, if I'd have really wanted it, we would have figured out a way to get the book, right? Well, I just said, Lord, I'd like to have this book from you. And several months later, my sister says, hey, I have a gift for you. Oh, yeah, what's that? Gives me the book I had asked the Lord for, right? And so his faith inspired me to also operate And step out in faith. In verse 9, he says, God is my witness. There's no better witness to have. (laughs) No better witness. Because he never misjudges you. He never misinterprets your motive. He never misunderstands you. In fact, there's times he sees your real motive when you're not even really seeing it. And, and He's patient and kind enough to work with you to get you to a place where you can see it without beating you over the head with it, right? We serve a good God. Someone say, He's good. He is good. All good. All right, so in verse 9, God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit. That's an interesting line. I serve with my spirit. How do I serve God with my spirit? Well, He goes on and He details how He's doing it. He, he says, in, or in what way? He says in telling the Gospel and telling the good news about His Son. In telling others about the good news of Jesus is how He was serving the Father with His Spirit. Well, that's pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, we can all do that. Serve the Father with our Spirit by telling of the good news or of the Gospel. The word Gospel means good news. Good news. So make sure that you're preaching A good news, not a bad news. Some people preach bad news. And I like how Brother Keith Moore says it. He says it this way. He says, you know, we have good news to tell you. But if you reject the good news, now we have bad news for you. Which is true, right? So here, what's he saying? He says, I serve with my spirit. You know, we are, we're spirit beings. We, sitting in these chairs tonight... You look around, you see the people beside you. They're all spirit beings. Their spirit is more real than their flesh and bone body. Because their flesh and bone body can't touch the spirit world, but their spirits can. Right? Their spirits can also touch the natural realm because they have a flesh and bone body. So you are more spirit than you are anything else. And with that spirit, you have an eternal soul. Your, your mind, your will, your emotions, your personality, that's your soul. In your thought realm, that's in your soul realm, okay? But you are a spirit being sitting there with an eternal soul and you're living in a temporary body. I mean, you're going to get, the word says you're going to get this exact same body back, but souped up, doing things the old one couldn't do, free of the wrinkles and all of that. If you want hair, you'll have it. I I don't think I'll have any because I want to stay this way. So I'm using my faith to make it stop growing, you know, so I don't have to shave. But if I get to heaven and have a full head of hair or an afro, you all will be walking around going, well, where's Pastor Sid? I don't see (laughs) Pastor Sid. He didn't make it. Now he's over there, that big afro. Oh, If you come to our house, I, uh, we have, you know, different photos from long ago and, and f- even from our wedding photos, we have a few of those around and people that don't know us well will come and they'll see the wedding photo and they'll be puzzled. I can see it on their face, you know, because we're Mennonite at the time, plus I have a full head of hair and I always tell them, well, that's my wife's first husband. <laughs> this is 100% true. How did I get there from talking about spirit, soul, and body? <laughs> All right. So we're spirit beings. And the Word of God, you know, God is spirit. And the way He communicates with you and I is through our spirits. That's how we touch the supernatural realm is in our spirit. And, and the Word says that our, our, our bodies are going to we're going to have resurrected bodies, renewed bodies, right? And much like Jesus did when He resurrected, He was able to go through walls, so it was a supernatural, natural body. But then He'd also eat things, which is awesome, right? Because we're going to be able to eat and taste and enjoy that. And, um, but He wasn't limited, like you and I, to time and space and, and physical objects and all of that. And so, I say all of that to say that we are often we tend to be more aware of our natural body than we are of our who we really are, the spirit being. Because this is what we see and feel and touch. The body, is what, the body and soul realm, the, the personality, the thoughts, all of that, is how we experience each other many times. So we begin to think on a natural base level. But the truth is, is that we're so much more than that. So much more than that. In fact, I want to just go a little bit further into that. You know, in in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, I'll just read it to you. It says, May the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He specifies all three areas. I say three and hold up four fingers. Maybe I need to do more counting. But yeah. He, he names spirit, soul, and body. And notice the order that he names them. He doesn't name it, because usually when people talk about those three dimensions, they'll say body, soul, and spirit. Now why do people do that? Because not once in Scripture is it in that order. Because we're more body conscious usually than we are spirit conscious. But the Word says spirit, soul, and body. And in, in Galatians chapter 5, where it talks about walking by the Spirit and not by the flesh. You know, the way to be to, to not walk and fulfill the desires of the flesh, it's very, very clear how to do it in Galatians 5. It says walk by the Spirit. It does not say resist doing the things of the flesh and now you can walk by the Spirit. People try that all the time and they continually fail and all they wind up in is, is frustration and condemnation. He's saying deliberately let your spirit person, the real you on the inside, lead. And In your flesh, you won't be over there fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And if you let your flesh lead, well, your soul will happily go along with it, and uh, you won't be spirit led. Another way to to explain spirit, soul, and body, or to help you understand it, you know, begin to think of yourself as a spirit. Um, if you have a loved one that died and then you, you know, a week later or at the funeral, you don't look up in the casket and say, well, here's Frank. You know, Frank is laying up here at the front of the church. He's just holding real still and uh, he's, he's sleeping and, um, you know, eventually we're going to bury him. No, everyone's like, well, if he had a relationship with the Lord, everyone's like, no, Frank's with the Lord. Frank's not here today. We still have his body here, but we're, we're looking forward to seeing Frank again, right? He's in our future. Why would we talk that way when the part we can see is laying here? Because that's not the real him. That's just what gives him permission to walk around on the earth. Because as soon as your body suit, your earth suit is canceled, you no longer have permission to be here on the earth. You're gone. Up or down. <clears throat> Romans 3. I mean, Romans 1, verse 9. How did I get to Romans 3? I don't know. Carry the 1, cross out the 9. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his son. Actually, I'm not done there. I still have to. There's another place I want to talk. Serve with my spirit. You can serve the Lord with your body. You can serve the Lord with your spirit. In in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, it says, so you've been bought with a price, so serve the Lord with your body and with your spirit. So how do you serve the Lord with your body? Well, again, how do you avoid doing the things of the flesh? You walk by the Spirit. So if you want your flesh to serve the Lord, be spirit-minded, right? Serving the Lord, and your flesh doesn't have a choice but come along for the ride. And now it's serving the Lord. Then he talks about his prayers. He says, I constantly mention you. I'm always asking in my prayers that if if it somehow is in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you. So that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often planned to come to you but was prevented until now in order. Well, he says, I often planned to come to you, and then he states his reason of what he, why he wanted to come in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you. But he says, I was prevented. In 1 Thessalonians, I think it's 1 Thessalonians. In First Thessalonians, yes, 1 Thessalonians 2, 18, Paul there also said. I've been trying and trying and trying to come to you guys and I've been hindered. The devil's been hindering me. The great and mighty Paul, man of faith, preacher of the gospel, world traveler, saying he tried and he tried and he tried, but the devil stopped him and was hindering him. Just because you know how to walk in faith and just because you're doing the work of the Lord doesn't mean that you won't have opposition and that it can momentarily delay the plan doesn't have to stop it. Because it didn't stop him from going. I mean, he went. He went as a prisoner, but he went. And he knew that's how he was going to be going. Because people were prophesying to him before he ever got back to Jerusalem. Hey, when you go, chains await you. Yeah, I know, but I'm compelled in my spirit to go. And so he goes down there and he ends up going to Rome and, and ministering, just like he said, But here, so he's saying, man, I've I've been praying for you guys. I really want to come. Well, why does Paul want to come see them? Now, we know that the plan of God for Paul was to stand before kings. That's what the Lord said to him on the Damascus Road, right? That I'll show you how much things you must suffer, and you're going to stand before kings in my sake and my account. And he did. But these people aren't kings. They're the regular believers in Rome. So why is He so eager to come see them? To be face to face with them? Because He wants to impart something to them. You know, it's one of the reasons that, you know, we, because we live in this modern day and time, we have a certain responsibility to handle technology wisely in how we reach the world. Right. There's there's people like Pastor Kurt Owen who has television programs that are going around the world and and so he's using what he has, and how the Lord has directed him to reach the world. Other people do it in all kinds of ways. People live stream their services. You, know, you can go on Facebook. You can go on YouTube. YouTube is full of you know, thousands of hours of sermons that, from all kinds of people, both good and bad, that you can listen to. And so we have a responsibility to steward these things and to use what is available to us, but also not rely on them in an inappropriate way. Because today in our culture, especially after 2020, the mistake that a lot of people have made is they substitute meeting face-to-face for that online message. Or that live stream. Or I'll just listen to the message because we don't have live stream, but you can go on, usually you can go on by the next morning and listen to our sermon right on the website. But that's not a replacement for being here face-to-face because there's something that happens there's something that Paul wanted to take place to this Roman uh, these believers in Rome that he didn't think was going to take place by writing the letter to them I mean this was their form this was their most cutting edge form of communication back in their day letters not smoke signals letters right they didn't have all the other ways to do it. And so, he is sending this by, by the deaconess Phoebe. You can read about her. Well, he is having her. He, she's going to take this letter to Rome. And so he wrote this letter out of, of all this instruction and doctrine in, in the whole book. And he expects that it's going, to, it's going to stir them. It's going to strengthen them. It's going to encourage them. It's going to bring revelation to them. The Lord's going to minister through it to them. But he did not think that it was... As good as meeting face to face. So we need to be really, really slow in substituting our face-to-face meeting for something online or listening to it. You know, if you can't be here, I understand, do listen to the sermon. But well, make every effort to to regularly meet your people face to face encourage them. Because that's one of the things that's supposed to happen when we get together. We encourage each other. In fact, He said, this is what's going to happen. is You'll be encouraged and I'll be encouraged. And you strengthen each other. And there's an impartation that takes place. The impartation of spiritual gifts. You know, if, if you didn't need to physically meet each other, then there would be no such thing as the doctrine of laying on of hands. He would have just said, pray for them. And we could take that scripture in in 1 Corinthians where he says there's no distance in the Spirit. You know, my spirits are there with you and you handle it this way. And we could say it's never necessary to be with other people. But we don't. We have again and again, Jesus taught the laying on of hands. The disciples taught it. And so there is something that takes place through physical contact that is important for you and I. Again, if we don't lose sight of the fact that we are spirit beings, and when we start coming together in unity and in face-to-face um, meetings, that the Lord, what did He say? Where two or three are gathered, there I, am. there I am. Yeah. And and don't misunderstand me. I'm not against live streams and all of that stuff. Um, I am against those being used as a substitute, right? Not uh, to gather together. So He states His desire. He wants to come see them and to encourage them. Let's now look down into verse 16 and 17. And this is the he states now, he's telling them why he's writing this letter to them. This is the theme and the purpose of the entire letter. He says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And he's quoting that out of the Old Testament, Habakkuk Habakkuk 2, verse 4, the righteous will live by faith. So he makes this statement, this great verse, I will not, I mean, we could preach a whole message, right, just on that verse, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because it is the power of of God the the word of God is the power of God how did he say it in Isaiah he says my word will not return to me void but it will accomplish everything that I sent it to do right why because his power resides in his word it's why we treasure the word of God I'm not talking about about the book and page and ink I'm talking about what he said we treasure the Word of God. One of the ways, some of you are going to like this, others not so much, one of the ways that we show how we treasure it is by storing it up in our heart with memorization. Memorize it. Shows how you're treasuring it. That's a form of meditating. right? Meditating it. You say, well, yeah, but I, I, uh, I'm not good at me- memorizing things. Okay. But, who would want to convince you of that? God or the devil? God's not telling you that you don't have the ability to remember his word. So I mean that right there is just like, duh. Yeah, not gonna not gonna obey that one. So pick a scripture and memorize it. And meditate it and allow it to work on the inside of you. And and I'll just say this too. The power of God is not again, it's not in the ink and page, but it's When the spirit of God on the inside of you, and you're born again spirit, and they unite on that word of God, receive the word of God, faith rises up, and it becomes spiritual food. It is the power of God. The word of God carries within it the power of God, and what is that power for? It's for salvation. Now, we're not going to take the time to study out what does the word salvation mean, but it's an all-inclusive term that covers many, many things. Alright? Your deliverance, your healing, your, you name it, debt cancellation, all of it is included in salvation. Now, if you carry debt, that doesn't mean that you're not saved. You Don't misunderstand me. I'm saying there's deliverance from all those things and bondages within salvation. We still have things that we need to walk out. Is why he says, work out your own salvation. Right? There's a walk that's involved. But there are certain rights that we have in the kingdom of God within the realm of salvation that every child of God has. Rights. To certain things. So he says, it's the power of God to salvation. And I'm so happy that the word everyone is in there. Not the word just Jews. Right? To everyone who believes. You have to believe. First to the Jew. You know, He came first to them. Yes, it's true. But also to you Greeks, you Romans. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. In, in the Word of God, His power is revealed by His righteousness. From faith to faith. And now, this, is, this saying is something that we often have quoted and we've said, and, and sometimes maybe we've misapplied it. Oftentimes, we'll apply it this way. We'll say, from one level of faith to another level of faith. Because we recognize there's all kinds of levels of faith. right? You have, you've got little faith. Jesus talked about people having little faith. But He also talked about people having great faith. So, right there's two major differing levels of faith. Then He said there's one that has no faith. And then there's the one who had shipwrecked faith. So he had faith, but then it was gone. And so there's all these different levels of faith. So faith is not something that you're just stuck at whatever level you're at. You can increase in faith. Why? Because faith comes from hearing the Word of God, what we've been talking about. And when you hear the Word of God, the power of God comes on the inside of you. You get excited, right? And faith wells up on the inside of you. Well, so we we use that from faith to faith many times, that we're going from one level of faith to another level of faith. But I want to present it tonight to you in a little bit different way. Because if you look at this, he says, in it, talking about the gospel, the good news, which carries the power of God, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. Who has faith in His Word? God does. Right? Right? Out of anybody, God has faith in his word. He believes his word. He has faith in what he sends his word to do. And we know that Jesus was called the word of God. Right? So the gospel, so what is he saying? Let's say it this way that what God did by faith or what God said by faith leads you into faith. That what he did by faith leads you to faith. Or gives birth to faith in you. Just as it is written, the righteous will visit faith. Is that right? No? Bella says no. Anyone else? The righteous will not visit faith. They're going to live there. It's a place of abiding. It's a place of being. Not a place of of passing by once a week on a Saturday night right? It's a place to be Monday morning. It's a place that when you go to sleep at night, you talk to the Lord. When you wake up in the morning, you talk to the Lord. As you go through the day, you're aware and talk to Him. It's a constant. Alright, so there He presents His theme. That's the purpose of the entire letter is those two verses. And now He is going to break it down piece by piece, bit by bit, starting at the beginning in a couple chapters he talks about Adam right and then the second Adam Jesus and he just breaks it all the way down into everyday understandable shoe leather all right let's begin reading in verse 18 he addresses the guilt of the Gentile world he says for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth wow does that sound like today by their godlessness and unrighteousness, suppress the truth. I mean, you just put whatever news media you want to right there in that verse.' Isn't that amazing how we live in a time where people you know the Democrats were trying to say they didn 't know how to define a woman, but then suddenly, after the Supreme Court's ruling, they all know how to define a woman. I mean you couldn't make this up if you wanted to. it's just another level of stupid but when you read through here, you see why. It says their hearts and minds are darkened. Because they've just been abandoned to something. All right, let's read here. He said, I'm going to start in verse 18 again. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what He has made. As a result, people are without excuse. Yes. There is nobody who is without excuse based on creation alone. If anyone ever tries, to, they arrive at judgment and go, oh, but I didn't know. It's not true. In fact, creation will stand up and say, nope. That's not true. We showed it to you and you ignored it. Verse 21 For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Like the teaching of evolution. Claiming to be wise scientifically, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. So that their bodies were degraded amongst themselves. Can you say monkeypox? If you wonder why I would say that, just search it later and you'll figure it out. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator who is praised forever. Amen. Amen. So, exalting science over the one who created science is a perfect example of this. And when you do something like that, it leads to a darkening and a dulling. Of, of your heart, of your soul, of your spirit, and it just gets worse and worse. Now, the, the beauty of it is, is there are ways out of it, right? The Lord has made a way out. He goes on and he says, For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men, in the same way, also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their heir. Now, in Canada, you would go to prison for reading that scripture and publicly proclaiming it. My question is why isn't everyone in prison then? All right, verse 28. No, let's meddle more. It's, it's Pride Month, right? June. And they call it Pride Month. Well, okay, let's, let's just put the whole alphabet soup crowd aside for right now. <clears throat> I mean, the LGBT, you know, all the, all the letters that they use. They're always adding to it. I don't know what, how to say them all. So just put that aside for right now and just think of what it's called. Not the reason behind it, just it's called Pride Month. Right? They said a whole month. I mean, we have, we have a one day for mothers. We have one day for fathers. Something that God instituted. And a whole month for the devil's main personality trait. Pride. Are you serious? See, we've got work to do. Way beyond Roe v. Wade, right? We, we have to continue to believe God for an awakening, in, which I believe has begun already, in our country, but have it begin in you and me first. Right? Let's not look out at them as so ridiculous, but let's judge ourselves. Let's hold ourselves before the Lord in a standard of purity. And so, because, see, pride is... And you may say, well, yeah, but they don't mean it that way, like the devil's pride that caused them to fall from heaven. Oh, yeah, it's the same thing. Let me explain. The devil thought he would be as good as God and do his own thing. Go his own way. Do it his way, not submit to the way God created him to be. i right. right, decide I'll be a woman today, or I decide I'll be a man, or or you know, I'm gonna sleep with a man or sleep with a woman. No. No, that's all going directly against how God designed and created it to be. And what kind of pride does it take to say, I'm just going to do it my way? I'm my own God. I get to make my own decisions. I mean it nothing is more appropriately named than that whole alphabet soup thing. Now, let me add this in too. There are different degrees of sin that carry different consequences. You know, a lot of times people go, Yeah, well, sin is sin. No, not really. Because in John it says there's a sin that leads unto death and there's a sin that doesn't lead unto death. There's a difference. There's different consequences for sin. If, if one person murders another person, that's a much more severe consequence for the person that got murdered than if that person would have just said a lie. See, there's different consequences for sin. Now, sin is, is sin. Sin does all the same thing. It hurts people. It will hurt you. It, it hurts your conscience. It causes you to have difficulty fellowshipping. Is it stands in the way and you're aware of it and, and all of these things. So, sin will harm people. It's just one sin harms people more than another sin. For example, murder. You can't undo it. With a lie, you could at least go back and tell them the truth. Right? You can repent of both sins. You can put it under the blood and be free of the sin. But some sins... In fact, Paul said it this way in Corinthians, I believe it was. He said... Some sins will go before you to judgment and some come behind you, after you. So, enough with this whole all sins are equal. They're not. Okay? However, sin—what are the, wa- the wages of sin are equally the same. Death. Wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. That's in Romans 6. Later, we'll get there. Not tonight. So, why did I say all of that? Well, it's the reason that God judged Sodom and Gomorrah instead of judging people that were just... because they were into homosexuality in a way that was depraved. And so He he dealt with that. That wasn't their only sin. One of the things they were known for, you can read this in Scripture, is that they were unloving and unkind and, and wouldn't have mercy on the poor. That was another reason they were judged is what Scripture tells us. But unless you sit there and think, oh, we're better than them. Look, straight sex outside of marriage is equally sinful. Right? Man with a woman, and you're not married, that will destroy you just as fast as the other one will. And so we don't sit here and go, oh, that's a, that's a sin that... yeah. It may be more detestable and more... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Some sins are more perverted. Okay, That, that may be a more perversion, a greater perversion of sin, but it, this other is still ugly in the sight of God too. And so, don't for a second ever give someone the idea that we're against homosexuality, but we're, we don't say anything about people sleeping together if they're of opposite sex. No, both. Both will destroy you. Verse 28, And because men committed shameless acts with men and received in their persons the appropriate penalty for their error, I guess that's where I should have said monkeypox. Verse 28, Because that primarily seems to have been a homosexual disease that people were getting at homosexual events. All right, and because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, evil, greed, and wickedness, full of envy, murder, quarrels or strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God haters. Arrogant, proud, there it is, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, irreconcilable, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but even applaud others who practice them. Or take pleasure in others who practice them. Notice in this list, he's talking about homosexuality. And then he throws things in like greed, which is the love of money. See that? Because it's easy to think of, you know, the homosexuality is really bad or murder is really bad, but gossiping, you know, you know but they are all lumped in this same category of deserving God's wrath. That's the bad news. What does he go on and say? He says, therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on the truth. Do you think, any one of you who judges those who do such things, yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? See, the key is verse 3. Any of you that judge those that are also doing those things. So you can look back up at the list and go, oh, yeah, don't want to do those things. Well, okay then, don't be judging people if you're doing those things. So we are called to judge. That's another thing that... I'm not going to take the time to get into that in great detail tonight. But Jesus said, stop, making, stop judging on outward appearances and make a right judgment. The whole part in, in Matthew there where he says, judge not that you be not judged, if you just keep reading and don't take it out of context, the whole purpose of that he goes on to explain is deal with the mote or deal with the beam in your own eye so that you can see clearly to help them get the speck out of their eye. It doesn't say ignore the speck. Just be tolerant of it. No, he's saying deal with you first so that you can properly help them. So that you can see to help them. Deal with your own sin first instead of just sitting in judgment of others and being self-righteous. Because see, it's really easy. It's really easy to consider yourself better than others when, because, you know, I vote with the Constitution. I this, I that. And those, those dirty dog Democrats, liberals, you know, it's easy to think that, well, we're better than them. But that's a trap. It's a trap. Don't fall for it. Just to let you marinate there for a little bit. <clears throat> Verse 4, Or do you despise the riches of His kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. He will repay each one according to His works. Eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. There will be affliction and distress for every human being who does evil. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does what is good. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. For there is no favoritism with God. So he's, he's dealing with the issue of judgment. And that it's the Lord's patience, His kindness, His restraint. It's His goodness that leads us. That has brought us Jesus start with, right? That didn't just judge us like we deserved. And then gives us all these opportunities. <clears throat> In verse 12, for all who sin without the law will also perish without the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For the hearers of the law are not righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So when Gentiles do not have the law do instinctively what the law demands they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts their consciousness confirm this their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them on the day when god judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through christ jesus and now he begins to deal so he's dealt with the jewish or with the gentile World. Now he's going to deal with the, the Jews and their violation of law and their need for a Savior. Verse 17, Now if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, and know His will, and approve the things that are superior, being instructed from the law, and if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of knowledge and truth in the law. You then, who teach another, don't you teach yourself? You who preach, you must not steal, do you steal? You who say, you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles, Because of you. Because they were seeing that they're not keeping the law. They're not practicing what they preach. Verse 25. Circumcision benefits you if you observe the law. But if you are a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if an... Okay, let's just keep in context. What does circumcision mean? Circumcision always is a symbolic of covenant. Covenant with God. Okay, So think covenant when you read the word circumcision. Because <clears throat> he had Abraham, he started with Abraham, later we'll read about it, but he starts with Abraham with circumcision and then all the way through to until the law was fulfilled. And he says, so circumcision, covenant, benefits you if you observe the law, but if you're a lawbreaker, your, circum- your symbol of covenant has become pointless. As though it didn't exist. So if an uncircumcised man keeps the law's requirements, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? A man who is physically uncircumcised, but who keeps the law, will judge you who are a lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of the law and circumcision. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, And true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart, by the Spirit, not the letter of the law. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. Do we have any Jews here tonight? Yeah, a whole room full of them. Circumcision is of the heart, by the Spirit. So he has, has now addressed the Jews and their breaking of the law and where they stand with it and their need of judgment. He goes on here, he says, so what advantage does the Jew have? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Considerable in every way. First, they were entrusted with the very words of God. Oh, what then? If some were unfaithful, will their unfaithfulness nullify God's? Faithfulness? Remember I said God has faith in His Word? That God operates in faith? His faith leads you into faith? Well here, is is their unfaithfulness going to nullify God's faithfulness? His answer is absolutely not. Let God be true, even though everyone is a liar, as it is written. And he quotes from King David. That you may be justified in your words and triumph when you judge. This is what David said to the lord when nathan the prophet confronted him for his sin with bathsheba and anyone who is familiar with the old testament as as they would have been all right cuz that's what that was their bible of their day the old testament so they didn't get to read all the new testament like you and i do cuz probably most of us spend most of our time reading in the new, new covenant well for them they had spent all of their time reading in the old covenant So they knew the Old Covenant probably a lot better than what we do. Because their schools, everything was lined up. That's where they learned these things. So when when Paul just would throw out a line, people knew the context, where it belonged, what he was saying. Verse 5, he says, If our unrighteousness highlights God's righteousness, what are we to say? Am I using a human argument? No, no, I, I read that wrong. I am using a human argument. Is God unrighteous to inflict wrath? Absolutely not. Otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if by my lie, God's truth abounds to His glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, just as some people slanderously claim we say, let us do what is evil, so that good may come. Their condemnation is deserved. And now He addresses the guilt of the whole world. He says, what then? Are we any better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away and all alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. This was quoted out of Psalms 14, Psalms 53, and 18. Ecclesiastes 7, those, those several lines that I just said. And then the next verses, 13 through 18, every line is from a different place in the Old Testament. I mean, he's just, he's just laying it out. Bam, 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 all these lines that they would have known, recognized from the Old Covenant. He says, their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers' venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law. So that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. Because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. Without the law, you don't realize you're sinning. The law is what just shows you where you're at in your need of the Lord. How did Paul say it in 1 Corinthians? He said it's a schoolmaster. The law is your schoolmaster. It's bringing you to a place. So that you can see and receive. But you're not saved by the law. Verse 21. I'll read to... uh, I'll just read here. But now, apart from the law... so Everyone say, apart from the law." law. The righteousness of God has been revealed. Attested by the law and the prophets. That would be the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. The righteousness of God is through faith... In Jesus Christ, to all who believe, since there is no distinction. That verse is amazing. The righteousness of God. So in spite of all these things we just read, all these horrible sins and violations and all these things, everyone's sinned, no one's righteous, there is a way to be righteous. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented Him as the mercy seat. That word is the propitiation, or it's the word for atonement. God presented Him as the atonement by His blood through faith. To demonstrate His rightness. His righteousness. Because in His restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented Him to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time. So that He would be just. And justify the one who has faith in Jesus. You know, God wants to be just. If He justifies you outside of Christ, He's not just. Because you deserve something else but since somebody paid the price now you're justified in that person because that person paid the debt now he's just in justifying you being just is a huge deal to the lord it's why it's why there's no forgiveness for the fallen angels Think well why can't they just repent I mean if the devil repented it just ended all right be great no more opposition But he can't repent. It would not be just to the angels who chose to stay with the Lord. Because a third of them chose not to and left. Because he didn't die for angels. He died for people. That's why if you choose wrong, that there's forgiveness for it because someone paid the price. Verse 27, Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by a law of faith, or a principle of faith. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then nullify the law through faith? Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. You say, well, I thought the law passed away. No, no, the law was fulfilled. And it's fulfilled in, how does he tell us? Later in Romans 13, he tells us how the law is fulfilled. That if you will love your neighbor as yourself, right? If you listen to the love command, you All the rest of the law hangs on that. You fulfill the rest of the law if you'll walk in love. You go look at the Ten Commandments. Every one of those you will obey if you're operating in the law of love. And it's no longer about obeying this list of things. It's just about you operating and walking as your dad. With his DNA that's in you. On the contrary, we uphold uphold the law and then he begins I'm going to close there he begins in chapter 4 to talk about Abraham and how Abraham was a man of faith and how it began there and then all the way through till Jesus and and he just keeps building and building on it and I encourage you to take the time to just read through it and uh, allow the Lord to minister to you through his word Worship team, you can come. We're going to take, take uh, communion together here in a little bit. And I'll have you all file up, um, up the center aisle here. And they'll move the table over. And come up, start in the back, come up the center aisles, go out the sides and back to your seat that way. And you can hold the elements if possible. And then we will take them together after everyone, after the first song and after everyone has received some of the elements. And I'm going to, while the team is still getting ready, read to you something that Paul said to the Corinthians about communion. In 1 Corinthians 11:17, 17, it says, Now in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together not for better, but for worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you, when you come together, then, it is, not, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry, while another gets drunk. That, that word drunk means intoxicated. Um, we don't have wine as, as the juice tonight, but they did back then. And wine, that was potent enough to make you drunk. For all those who, th- who think otherwise, right here's your proof. Verse 22 I'm just meddling in all kinds of things tonight, ain't I? (laughs) He says, don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Notice he did not chide them for drinking wine. How dare you guys? Come on, you know better than drinking wine. You should be using, you know, young fruit from the vine that you don't get drunk on. He didn't do that. He spoke against the drunkenness but come on guys, you, don't you have enough sense to know that if you're going to drink, then do it at home. But don't get drunk. That's, that is everywhere through scriptures, tells us not to do that. Alright. I have uh, been walking around like a bull in a china hutch tonight. <laughs> don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So when we take the communion bread, we are doing it in remembrance of, Of Jesus and His broken body. What He did for us. Verse 25. In the same way. Also He took the cup after supper and said. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. As often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And by proclaiming the Lord's death, what value is that to proclaim His death? Because it is looking to His sacrifice that paid your bill. It's agreeing that His sacrifice, He punched my ticket. He paid the bill. And my sin is under the blood. My healing is under His wounds. Jesus said His body was broken for you. Someone say, that's me. That's me. So if you need healing in your body, if you need healing in your soul, you take the bread, you take His body as more than enough to accomplish that healing and believe it. And just say, Lord, I receive it from You. Say I am healed. I am delivered from every soul affliction. My body responds to the finished work of Jesus Christ. I am whole. I am healthy. So body, be healed in Jesus' name. All right, take the. You know the blood of Jesus cleanses you from past, present, and future sin. Did you know that? I mean, He died once for all sin. That hadn't even been committed yet. I'm grateful, aren't you? Covenant, family, makes you one with Him. say this together. I am redeemed. I am forgiven. He has called me by name. I belong to Him. Thank you, Lord. I'm so grateful for the miracle working power of God, aren't you? Graves into garden. Ashes to glory. Father, I thank you. We bless you. We say thank you. You are awesome in every way. You are good and kind and patient and merciful. And thank you for the grace that you give us to walk in victory. Thank you for victory. Thank you for Jesus. Father, I just declare right now in the name of Jesus victory in this house. Victory over every person. The enemy is defeated and he has the victory and we enforce it in Jesus' name. Well, go in peace. Grace and peace be on you. Love on each other as you go. There's a time of fellowship downstairs for everyone.
1: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Church of the Word International here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming and assembling yourself with like believers, like minded, like spirited. Isn't it great to have a place to come? We don't take it for granted, do we? Not one time. It's so precious and special. And so are you. So thanks again for coming. I want to encourage you in the scripture for our worship time. And in Ephesians 1.17 it says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened that we may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceedingly greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Far above, say far above, Far above all principalities and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come and he put all things under his feet and gave to him to be head over all things to the church which is his body which we are the fullness of him who fits all in all what a powerful powerful prayer In Ephesians 1, to pray as a body and for one another. Amen. We have much to be grateful for tonight, really every day. So let's stand together as the family of God, the body of Christ, and let's celebrate life. Life is in the blood, right? It's pulsating, the blood of Jesus. Let's celebrate Jesus tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we are just so grateful for tonight and this time we have together. Father, it's precious time. Precious time. Your word says that we have today. We're not promised tomorrow. So tonight, Lord, I pray that we have the fullness of your spirit operating in our hearts, that our hearts are supple to hear the truth, to embrace it with the intent to do it. Your word in Ephesians 3 says so much that you would grant us according to the riches of your glory to be strengthened with might through your spirit in our inner man that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height so father that we can know the love of Christ which passes all knowledge that you may be that we may be filled with the fullness of God now we look to you father and we say that you're able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in in each one of us to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever and ever Father, we are just so grateful to be called by your name, delivered by the blood of your precious son, Jesus, coming into the kingdom of God in this flesh time, knowing, Father God, that you are a good and faithful father. You're not withholding one good thing from us as we walk upright before you. What a blessed assurance as we walk in this life knowing that god before us who can be against us father that fills our hearts with confidence towards you and great joy joy that passes all understanding peace that passes all understanding joy unspeakable full of glory that's the realm we live in that's the realm we think in and that's the realm that we walk in Father, we thank you for that. We give you all the glory and all the praise tonight. Going forward, Lord, our hearts are open. Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way. Let this be a supernatural night for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, one way we love God, honor God, and thank God is by loving, honoring, and thanking one another. So turn to your neighbors and tell them you're glad that they're here.
2: Well, good evening, everyone. Glad to see you all tonight. It's good to be back. We had a good time in Florida. I know some of you are gone, or some of, I see faces that are gone. I think we got some overseas travelers right now, so let's be praying for them. Well, we'd like to welcome you if this is your very first time to Church of the Word International. So if this is your first time here, can you just wave your hand real high and we'll clap for you. And uh, Jake and Elizabeth, uh, I can't think of his last name, but we all know Jake and Elizabeth. He has a sister here so and cousin. So we're glad to have you with us tonight. All right. Well, we're going to return the tithe to the Lord. So if you need a cash envelope for your giving... Uh, you can raise your hand and our ushers will bring you one. And if you're giving by credit card, do fill out all of the blanks. And we're just going to return the tithe with a grateful heart. Amen. Cheerfully. You know, he put these resources in our hands. It came from him. And he wants to bless you. Do you believe him when he says that you know, when you return the tithe, the tenth to me, that I'm going to open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing till you don't have room to receive it. There's grapes downstairs, by the way. Um, free grapes. This is just an example. We have so much blessing in our lives, we've got free grapes for people in the church. More on that later. I'm getting derailed. <laughs> what was I saying? Do you believe God? Yes, do you believe him when he says these things? When he says he wants to open the windows of heaven for you. See, there's a test coming. Did you know you have a test coming? Not tonight, but maybe on a Tuesday or Friday or Thursday on what you believe. Do you believe God? That's the test. And it's coming whether you are ready for it or not. It's coming. It's a lot easier when you're here in church to be like, yes, I'm full of faith. I believe it. Yes, we're sitting next to faith sisters and faith brothers. and But when it's just you and the problem during the week, just you and that, what do you believe? That's the test. And can you believe what God said? You know, he said, he said in Luke six thirty-eight, he said, give and it shall be given. Can you believe it? What about in Galatians 6, 7, where he says, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. How about 6 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 9, where he says, sow generously, you're going to reap generously. These are things God has said. And the question is, is do I or do I not believe it? Because see, if I if I believe it, then when when you're presented in, during the week, because, you know, we're not usually presented with this challenge here. Usually it's out there and during the week when it's just you and the problem, like I said, and you've got that opportunity to yield to the fear and yield to the, I don't know, maybe we won't have enough. You know, maybe maybe I shouldn't tithe because, you know, there's just not enough for the rent this week if we do. Have you ever had a thought like that? I mean, I, I have. You know, there's there's been times in our life where it's like, well, should we really be tithing when, when really all that we're making this month is only a fraction of what we need. I mean, that seems counterproductive. I should hold on. No, you know what? This is where you choose to trust. And if he really means what he says, then I'm blessed for it. Then if if he really means what he says, and if this word is true, and it is, then then he's got it covered. So I just throw my cares over on him. I just throw all these worries and this problem, whatever it is, on him and then just believe him to do what he said he would do. Numbers 23, verse 19 says this, says, God is not human that he should lie. Because, you know, humans can do that. We ought not, but they do sometimes. He's not a human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Or like one translation says, says, he doesn't vacillate. You know, he doesn't one way, one time this way, sometimes another way. He does not vacillate. Does he speak and then not act? Now, the implied answer is no. When he speaks, he acts, right? If he said it, it's happening. Does he promise and then not fulfill? And again, the implied answer is no. If he promises, it's fulfilled. He will do it every time. He doesn't just say stuff carelessly. God means what he says. And he says what he means. And this test will come to each of us in the week. Do you believe him? Did he say it? Does it really happen like that? Does it really work like that? Well, maybe you might be saying, well, yeah, I I did believe that. I did say that. And, you know, I still have this stack of bills. I still have this, this problem. And, well, you know, here's the thing. People vacillate. God doesn't, but people can vacillate. So it's not just, well, sometimes I believe God and then sometimes I don't. And sometimes I say, yes, his word is true. And then sometimes like, I don't know, I'm not sure. You gotta be all in. Just keep resisting the fear. Just keep believing the word. Just keep speaking the word. Keep acting on the word. He will never let you down. You can count on him. Because he said so. Is that good enough for you? It's good enough for me. All right. Take a hold of your tithe and let's believe god you know he said that the righteous are blessed and prosperous and if you obey him you're blessed and prosperous and that's all through the psalms so let's believe it amen father we're so grateful that we have a god we can count on that we have a father who who loves us and says we're more valuable than the many sparrows and that you take care of if you clothe the Fields with flowers so beautifully, how much more will you take good care of us? And so we just trust you tonight, Lord. We thank you for these resources you put in our hands. We're grateful to return the 10th to you. And we just believe you and take you at your word that as tithers, we are blessed and protected according to your word in Jesus name and amen. amen. And the ushers, you can pass the baskets and the people will give it to the Lord. Well, as I mentioned, there's grapes for free downstairs. So, apparently, um there was some semi-truck loads of grapes that got rejected at the docks for the grapes being, I don't know, a couple degrees different what they were supposed to be, and they're perfectly fine. So, there was like stacks and stacks, pallets of grapes just sitting in a field, and, you know, people got on Facebook, and it spread through the whole Mennonite world, and that's how I got it, and <laughs> so I loaded up my car, and... I've given out some, but there are some reserved uh, papers on a few flats downstairs. So whatever's left, you know, hey, grab a bag or if there's a flat, take a flat. I'm not sure what's left down there by now, but I don't want to go home with them. So there's youth and young adults, uh, youth impact here tomorrow night. So 6 p.m. here at the church. And also I wanted to announce there's not going to be CityGate in July. So a lot of people gone and varying schedules so there won't be city gate here in july all right well our pastor has a word inspired of the lord word of truth to bring us tonight so let's open our heart and hear what the lord has
0: well good evening today is the day that the lord has made Good to see Anastasia here with us. Welcome. Hallelujah. A year of miracles for us. So a few things that we need to uh, that I'll cover before we get into the message is next weekend, uh, Pastor David Landis is going to be here and minister the word. David, as many of you know who that is, he's pastored for many years in Harrisburg at Word of Grace Ministries, and he has now handed the uh, church over to the new pastor there. And his schedule is free, and he's able to come and minister, and I've wanted him to come minister for quite some time now. So he's going to be coming and uh, ministering next week, so come expecting. I've never I've never heard David preach a bad message. It's always been the pure Word of God, so come believing for uh, truth to build you up and to strengthen you. And then also, uh, the following week, you can look forward to seeing Andrew Taylor. And Andrew Taylor is a missionary in, uh, <clears throat> do we need to take the, uh, the missions offering yet, don't we? Okay, we'll do that here in just a moment. And, um, so if, let's, in fact, let's just, I'll interrupt what I was saying. If you have, uh, your missions offering, because this is our missions weekend, uh, to give, go, and you need an envelope, raise your hand or ushers will bring you an envelope and then we'll proceed with that here in just a moment. So Andrew Taylor is going to be here with us in two weeks and he's going to be ministering and they have uh, missions in different places in the Fiji Islands and Indonesia and Australia. And right now they're living across the street in the campground. They come over in the summer. And so he's going to be ministering the Word. So come out expecting and prepared to... Uh, So into the work that they're doing as well. And that'll be in in two weeks. All right, for our missions offering, as many of you know, and those of you that are new with us, what we do is, as you can see by the flags on the wall, there's lots of places that we are either currently in or have been and are supporting people there that are carrying on the work of the Lord. So every year in July, we make a covenant with the Lord, a faith promise we call it, of what we believe He's putting in our heart to do in the next calendar year from July to July. And so, um, once a month, we come together on the last weekend of the month and we take that offering. And then it gets sent out to wherever you, you want it to go. So, if you don't make out your mission offering to any place in particular in the memo field, then it'll just go into the general mission fund. And from there, we disperse it um, as the needs arise, if you designate it somewhere, then it will get passed through CWI. None of it gets, gets kept; it all gets passed on to the place that you designate it to go. So, just put it in the memo field if there's a designation for it. Uh, otherwise, make the check out to CWI, and um, we'll go. We'll go from there. You know, your your money is a representation of you. You know that, right? Money isn't good or bad. It's only as good or bad as the person that holds it. Right? And so you have the ability to send an extension of yourself, little green soldiers, all around the world to do the work of the kingdom and enable those that are doing the work there to so take a hold of your, uh, your little soldiers and let's pray. <laughs> Father, I thank You that You enable us to do mighty things for You and that You promised that You'd pour out a blessing that's even bigger than what we can receive. So Father, enlarge the vision of our heart and our work that we might be more effective, that we'd be better equipped. in this seed that we sow into the kingdom, we call it to increase in Jesus' name, to grow and expand and accomplish all that You have in Your heart to do. In Jesus' name, and Amen. All right, the ushers can pass the baskets and uh, pick up the mission offering. Wow, what a week we have had. I thought about wearing my sleeveless shirt tonight to minister to uh, celebrate the uh, Supreme Court's decisions for the right to keep and bear arms. Some of you are wondering, what does a sleeveless shirt have to do with the right to keep and bear arms? You'll get it tonight, somewhere, later, in the middle of the sermon. (laughs) They'll get better as we go, so just be patient with me. So that was a really good start to the week to see that decision come through. And then, on top of that, grace upon grace, right? This Roe v. Wade is history. Praise the Lord. A right that does not exist in our Constitution has finally been recognized after 49 years. And so that doesn't mean that abortion doesn't exist. It doesn't mean abortion's illegal, right? It just simply means that it's not federally protected now. So now the decision goes back to the state's. And praise the Lord, there's been a number of states that already had put laws in effect that said, if Roe v. Wade ever gets struck down, then these laws will immediately be implemented in their state. And that is laws that would forbid abortion, right? And so there's a handful of states that have done that, a number of them really. And I believe we're going to see more states now working towards that. I do believe you're going to see a marked difference in the states that do it and the ones that don't. You're going to see those states blessed and the others not. And so we want to live in a blessed state, right? So, so let's uh, continue to put pressure on our lawmakers to put in legislation that will do that. And come November, we're going to have a governor that would sign that kind of thing into law when it comes to his desk. So change is coming. But how many know that when the Supreme Court makes the right decision, even though it, it had been a wrong precedent for 49 years. When they make the right decision, it is, it's time to rejoice, but we also recognize there's a battle in front of us. That it's not over. And that what took 50 years to accomplish by prayer and persistence, think of what we can do in another 50 years. With an awakening of people to the Spirit of the Lord and to truth. And our nation turning back. Right? In 50 years, where could we be? And so let's continue to pray. Let's continue to live on our knees and, and, and to do the work. Let's not just pray. But we need to, you know, David, I believe was a man of prayer, but he also knew how to throw a stone. Right? He knew how to go take out a, a giant. He didn't just stay on his knees praying, saying, Lord, deal with the giant. He went out and handled it because no one else would. So we need Davids to rise up in our land. How, how many thought that we may never see the day where Roe v. Wade would be struck down? I mean, I thought that. I, you know, I prayed for it, but sometimes it looked like just never would happen. Listen, elections have consequences. What would have happened if Hillary would have gotten in? And all those justices that got put in by President Trump would have been liberal justices. We'd still be having Roe v. Wade as law. And so elections have consequences. And I know that it's easy to be discouraged and be like, well, yeah, but look at the last one. Um, You know, President Joe Biden, he was put in. He wasn't elected, I don't believe. And so because the things were stolen. If you haven't watched it, go watch, um, is it 2,000 Mules, I think is the name of the movie. Um, And in there, I mean, that movie alone shows you that election, that that it matters that you go out and vote right? Because some people have the idea that, well, it doesn't matter. You know, they're going to cheat anyhow, so what does it matter? Well, if it didn't matter, they wouldn't have to be stuffing ballot boxes and stuffing these drop boxes, right? Because they're doing everything they can and cheating on every level they can. But that's only a short-lived victory. We're going to get it back, right? And let's keep praying that way and let's put our actions to, to what we believe. Hallelujah. Such a good week. I wanted to dance and shout.